from a community perspective, it's it's one thing that I I really really hope that those closest to me see and understand now because. There's always this piece, I think, around biking. You know, bikers have a reputation of probably just being troublemakers, being noisy. And actually, it's it's a bunch of people who will be the most welcoming people you've ever met. Mm. Um, they are the people in my life who I know, if anything ever happened, it, like I'd pick up the phone and they'd drop everything and they would come. Like they, yeah. they are those sorts of people. And regardless of where they live, if they're eight hours away, if they're yeah. half an hour away, they would drop everything and come. And it's, it is very much, a, you know, a really, really special community. And, you know, for me, I just, I hope that those closest to me understand why I would choose to go back to biking yeah. after it has taken my best, best friend from me. So. Welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I am your host, Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 187, I'm joined by Bethan Laker, business owner, heart-centered leader, and legend of the Always Better Than Yesterday community. Bethan has been with us since the very start. Our community absolutely love Bethan. And true to her nature, we have a really authentic conversation. We talk about the highs and lows of personal development, of business development, and overcoming personal grief. It is a really powerful conversation, one that I hope meets you where you are today and gives you hope for a better tomorrow. Here we go, episode 187 with our great friend, legend, Bethan Laker. Bethan Laker, welcome to Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so good. I know that our community are very, very excited to have you on the podcast, but more importantly, for me to ask all of their curious questions. <laughs> and there's plenty of those. <laughs> there is plenty. I, 11 in total I have written down in front of me. I have no questions of my own. <laughs> I have 11 of theirs and I can't promise them that I will ask all of them because I will I, I will do my best to create a great conversation for our listeners. But um, let us know a little bit about Bethan. Tell us a little bit about early days, Bethan. I mean, how far do you want me to go back? Like, <laughs> early days, um, I guess as a child. So I, I was a military brat, grew up with both parents in the forces, um, so experienced... I guess, military life for 14 years of my childhood. Um, went into Civvy Street then, I guess, as you would call it, and figured out how to navigate a world in, in normal life, uh, which is actually very different to military life. And then, yeah, I guess into my early adult years and the joys of life and what life throws at you and... Yeah, the journey I guess that that then takes you on through your twenties. So mm. yeah, it's been a it's been a roller coaster. I think I think it's obvious, kind of the things that you don't get from being in military. You know, you don't get the firm roots because you're moving from town to town and, and and country to country, maybe. But I guess what does what does it give you? Yeah, I mean, I I always think that my upbringing has just bought me utter resilience. Mm. Um, you know, mm. life is very different when you're in that world and and you don't have um 
like a, a close knit circle of friends that you've spent your entire life growing up with. So yeah. you have a, a new circle of friends every two to three years. So you're forever making friendships and connections and then losing them again. Mm. Um, so, you know, compare that to the normal upbringing of a child in civilian street. And it's mm. very much, it's the complete opposite. You know, I speak to friends and they've got friends that they went to nursery with. They've got friends that they, you know, their mums are on the same maternity ward and mm. they they have literally grown up um, together. But yeah, I, I think life, life as a military child, you develop a huge amount of resilience. I think you maybe see things in a very different way in terms of the world and, and you know, what, what life can look like and the pressures that are, are put on certain job roles. Um, you know, I was fortunate my dad wasn't posted away all too much. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he has been away. He went to the Falklands quite a few times. And, you know, we were a family of three when that when that was the case. And, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's just there's there's so much to it that's mm -hmm. very, very different. Um, but, yeah, resilience would be my one main word. Yeah, so you and I first would have encountered each other through your brother, obviously friends of your brother, John, who was in my school year. And, you know, I, I think from... You know, there's, there's there's certain points in our life where you've, we've been brought back together for different reasons, and but in our early days, little did we know we were both in the swimming industry. I I was a lifeguard over in a different town called Westbury, and and I think you were over in Trowbridge. And one of the questions here is that um, did you get into swimming the industry uh, on purpose or by accident? By accident. <laughs> um, yeah, I was offered the opportunity to do my lifeguard qualification, yeah. and. Um, just took it which obviously led into work mm. and then from there I you know I, I believe I've been very fortunate with my career I've never paid for a qualification which is unheard of mm. um you know I, I did my lifeguard qualification then I went on to do a swim teacher's qualification then I progressed into management um and I was in management roles very early on in my 20s so I was mm. probably one of the youngest managers um in that region and I was also well, actually to be fair I'm still one of the youngest managers that mm. I would have known of um in the industry as well so swimming, managing swimming pools like the operations and yeah yeah so I I fell into it mm -hmm. and they do say once you kind of get into leisure you can't get out of it and I went to uni and I you know it, it's it's a good qualification or they are good qualifications to have because you can take them wherever you go so I went down to uni and obviously found work down there I came home and then I went straight back into a full-time job role and then yeah I just kind of progressed from there but no I didn't ever plan on being in swimming I wasn't ever a competitive swimmer and I never knew that I had this passion for water other than having experienced sailing windsurfing scuba diving yeah. you know aquatic sports as a child yeah. so yeah. so anyone that's been around you anyone that's spoken to your experienced you speak about the industry there is a whole lot of heart and of passion you know, we'll probably talk a little bit about, you know, how you've been influencing an industry from a different country, you know, during COVID. But I, I guess if, Jen says, you know, was it an intentional or accidental love affair? And I guess, you know, did you learn to love it? Like what, what is the, the essence of the swimming industry that you have fallen for? Um, I think there's probably two parts to it. The, the initial part, the passion, I think, came from a realization that swimming was such an important life skill. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working as a lifeguard, I did many rescues, 
mm-hmm. as you know as that 16 18 year old lifeguard still on the pool deck um I had also witnessed a child who had been in a drowning mm. situation in terms of my team doing CPR and the full, you know, the full works. Mm. Um, so I, I think it kind of developed from there in the fact that it, you know, it is preventable. Mm-hmm. And I have a firm belief that everybody should have an opportunity to learn to swim because mm. of that. Um, but I think the other aspect of my passion comes from my experience within the industry around just I guess there's a lack of understanding of the business aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, business is a byproduct of allowing every child an opportunity to learn to swim. So when you can put the two together and know that actually a viable business then creates a sustainable future, mm. for me, that's just a complete cycle. And then add in the other aspects that we're now doing with our business around education. Mm-hmm. It's the... Um, it's the sustainability of the whole piece mm. but it's the impact and the ripple effect that that then obviously goes on to have so mm. yeah it started off with just one one small thing and then it's kind of just naturally developed as I've gone through different job roles what gave you the courage to leave one job in the UK and take one up in Ireland <laughs> <laughs> uh just because I could right <laughs> I guess you know I've always been I, I was very much brought up both myself and my brother brought up on the fact that if, if you don't try it you won't ever know mm. um and I kind of just thought Do you know what I'm not that I'm, I was done in the industry here in in England but actually you know maybe there's impact that I can have elsewhere and there's there's much greater sort of a much greater need somewhere else for me um I guess I kind of knew the person that was asking me to to take on the job and I you know we we got on and I thought yeah why not like Isla's supposed to be a lovely place and let's go um so that's what I did didn't really think about it how many days before the um pandemic uh I was in the country for like a maximum of four weeks yeah so I went to relocate my life yeah took my car took everything and yeah then the pandemic hit so <laughs> yeah like like so you, you know we 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 had weekly calls together being with our group and you you were flat out heart and soul working to keep this industry which for all intents and purposes had been shut down like it's very difficult to put into a conversation what you did during those two years but how how would you summarize that time looking back on it painful <laughs> impactful yeah and probably the best two years of my career yeah why um like i i was in a position where you know i was doing things that i never ever thought i would need to do so i was lobbying government for example and you know trying to evidence that swimming pools are safe spaces and all like all whilst my heart was actually aching for this industry because the industry is quite volatile it's it's very unstable anyway um you know in terms of profits that are made and, and it's really easy for a pool to be shut so knowing that you're under this period of time where there is no income and 
you know, it's it, the impact that that's going to have on, on, on the industry could be huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a, a huge amounts of different emotions, pain and suffering, I guess, for, I guess the empathy I had for the actual industry itself, yeah. my own internal turmoil because of the differing values and beliefs. Um, my own work ethic was yeah. probably my worst enemy. Uh, you know, I'd work all hours mm -hmm. there were in a day. I'd sit at my laptop from half seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And I'll work right the way through until, well, 11, 12 at night. But, mm. and, and it was never done. Yeah. So it was just, it was constant. And then yeah. it never really seemed to, to let up. But yeah, it was impactful and like I said, the probably the most important two years of my career. Yeah. Hey, my friends, thank you for listening to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I hope that you're enjoying the interview. I would be really grateful if you would just take a moment to pause and just leave this podcast a review, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd be grateful for you to leave a review and help more people experience our podcast and our message of heart-centered leadership. I am so grateful for you pushing play and spending time with us here at Always Better Than Yesterday. If you do go on to leave a review, please just take a screenshot, share it, tag us in at Always Better Than Yesterday UK. And when you do, I will send you a 20% off to our merchandise store as a little thank you from me to you. Here we go, back to the interview. Yeah. 100% and, and you know we definitely had conversations about take some time for Bethan and you know because those uh, those those long days are and it's interesting isn't it because you talk about feeling mean you know feeling purposeful and it's yeah just that struggle that it's never done there's always more to do and but what what I what I found really interesting is that from a leadership perspective I think I think trying to develop our leadership in the middle of a crisis is too late. I think anybody that didn't invest in their own leadership up until the point of that pandemic got found out, like, yeah. because life squeezes, right? And, and I guess what's on the inside is going to come out. And, you know, you and I had been talking about leadership for a few years. And, you know, I really, I think you had a clear sense of who Beth and Laker is, who Beth and Laker wants to be in the workplace, in life and values and, do you feel that having that sense of identity and, and the perspective of your values helped you during that time? Yeah, I think so. And I, I think there was this inner knowing that I just needed to show up. You know, we, we talk about showing up all the time. And mm -hmm. even when I felt as if I really, 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 really didn't want to, yeah. I just knew I had to. Um, and I think part, you know, part of it was driven by my determination slash stubbornness <laughs> um yeah. but also the, the, the industry didn't have anybody yeah and yeah I, I guess from a values perspective it it just felt as if that was the thing that I had to do even if I had no answers which was probably the hardest days to to show up you know we would do Facebook lives and quite often we would be giving them no information whatsoever or we'd be you know just just turning up and telling them bad news but throughout that process it just reaffirmed to me that actually I wear my heart on my sleeve and mm -hmm. 
I I turn up and and actually there were you know there were, there were days that I was vulnerable. I I was nearly broken. I was very very close to tears, if not in tears. And I yeah I just kind of went with it really and developed some really great relationships by doing that. Yeah, and uh, from from what I understand, the the culture hasn't always been as supportive and enabling of of that and of that type of leadership. So how do you how do you how do you wrestle with that? How do you wrestle with this desire to be authentic within with a with a culture that maybe isn't used to that? Um, I guess for me, there's there's this knowing that I mm. like I knew the industry, I I knew what the industry needed, and I also knew that the organisation that I was working for didn't really quite fully understand what that meant and yeah. what it would mean to the people actually in the industry as well. Um, so I think from that place I just kind of knew that I had to keep going with it but I don't know it's a hard one because it's a it's a constant battle and you feel as if you're banging a head against a brick wall all the time and and for, and for me it wasn't about the people in the organization it was about the people outside the organization and the feedback that I was getting was actually that what we were doing was impactful to them and that's what mattered to me because I knew that they were the people that were on the receiving end of it and actually culturally if it didn't sit within the organization like for me I thought that that would change and that is naivety on my part and maybe the fact that I like optimism yeah maybe the fact that I like to be optimistic and maybe see the best in things and but it didn't change it hasn't changed and you know the you know we've now moved forwards from that but it's again it 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 pains me that it doesn't change and it pains me that there isn't that understanding um so it's really interesting isn't it because i think you know when we talk about ripple effect heartprint i think we talk about the impact that we leave on people and i think business is people to people and uh i I know that you now have gone into a, a personal venture and you know what is that personal venture that you're taking you know post uh job shall we say yeah i i guess we just know i say we obviously have a business partner um joni harding shout out to joni harding um for me i've i've always known that there's a solution to the, the challenge that the industry faces or the challenges that the industry faces and um i just thought you know what if nothing's being done about it why don't i just go and do something about it so that's what i did my 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 time was done and there's only so long you can fight against a culture that probably won't change um or will only change if there's you know key changes with within that that environment um and yeah I just I took the jump and I thought I'm gonna do it what's the worst that can happen (laughs) um so yeah we now have so Joni so I went in October and journey then joined yeah so we have two businesses we have one in the uk and one in ireland um and we are a solution-based business so we we look to solve the the challenges that the industry faces through the solutions that we know work Mm. in the industry like it's not rocket science what we do but we know it's impactful and it's it's a game changer and what's your company called the leisure experts and who are the leisure experts who are the leisure experts what myself and Joni? Yeah, 
That seemed like a trick question, Ryan. <laughs> no trick questions here. Tell me about what it's like to work with with Joni. And you, know, you talked about her being part of the reason you went to Ireland. Like, what is it to have a a teammate and uh, to have someone to go into business with? Because that's a whole new thing, right? It's, just, it's it's all well and good to be colleagues, but it's it's a bit different when you decide to go into business with someone. Yeah, and the amount of people that kind of warned us of that as well. You know, just be really careful. You know, going into business with somebody isn't like it is what it you you know it's, it's what you make it. But ultimately, um, you know, both myself and Joni share a passion for the industry. We both share a passion for um, the experience that people have within water, um, and yeah, you know, we bounce off each other really, really well. We're we're very similar in some aspects and complete opposites in, in others. Um, Joni has a, a background in education mm-hmm. and you know a, a real passion for training and and developing people mm-hmm. and then I obviously have my background in the actual facility side and more of the business piece so put the two together and actually we have something very special um, you know I've worked with many people across the industry who share that same passion share very similar values but the, the two of us together like it's we, we almost don't really need to ask each other what we think because <laughs> we always seem to be on the same page or, you know, there's, there's always going to be slightly different angle to it because obviously we come from different backgrounds, but the, the concept is, is normally the same. And, you know, the outcome tends to also be the same thought process as well. So mm. it's, it's really, really cool when you can work with someone like that, because, you know, if I'm having a bad day and Joni's buzzing her off, then, <laughs> You know, it kind of it lifts you, and you're not in on, on your own. First few months for me was not lonely because obviously yeah. I still have people that I talk to. But yeah, when when you can speak to someone on a daily basis and throw yeah. ideas around and numbers and yeah. look at your future, it's yeah, it's very exciting. And I know that you have a heart and an intention to do business slightly differently. And I think sometimes that's driven by pain and frustration of how it is, and then when you realise the freedom you have to create how you want it to be. You know, for anyone that experiences your business or works within your business, like what sort of culture are you trying to set? We're very much people first culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said earlier, business is a byproduct hmm. of everything that you do. Um, if we can get the people piece right, everything else else follows. Um, for us, it's it's actually being flexible. It's being able to understand people's needs and knowing that it's not a one size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being able to actually really understand where a business is at and where they want to be and then fill in the fill in the gaps, whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, you know, we're working with a number of different people at the minute and every single one is completely different. Mm-hmm. And every single process that we follow with them is slightly different. You know, it's it isn't just, well, here's a qualification and here's a program that you follow and this is the way that you need to do it. It's actually, you know, these are your options. How, you know, how does that best work for you and and your business and your people? So yeah, people first is very much our focus right now. But that's servant. That's, that's, that's service, heart centered service, because I think that might make your life a little bit different because uh, difficult or harder, shall we say, than implementing, you know, that one size fits all off the shelf type solution but it's the essence of B2B It's the essence of service is the essence of meeting needs rather yeah. than. Yeah. And we're very much like, you know, we would much 
much prefer to have short-term pain and not take on people just for people's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, take the time to have the right people, to choose the right people, mm-hmm. to find the right people. Um, but I also think, you know, we're, we know that in the longer term, we, you know, we, we will be encouraging other businesses to do the same. Mm-hmm. Whereas the industry right now is just desperate. Mm. But they don't, they don't have to be desperate if they can look at it from a slightly different perspective. Mm. Yeah. What, you, you talked a little bit about the future. You know, what gives you hope for the future of this business and this industry? Um, what gives us hope? Just a knowing that they need it. Mm-hmm. And that actually it can be, you know, it can be really impactful. It's, um, you know, we we spoke yesterday and we threw the words around. We used the word weeks and weeks and weeks ago when we put in some sort of marketing pieces together, like revolutionizing. Mm -hmm. So we want to revolutionize (laughs) (laughs) the industry, like in the way that we, the way that we do things. And it's, it's very much of, we've always done it that way, but we want to, to, to drive it forwards and, yeah, you know, the future for us is, is, well, I guess the future is the future, isn't it? You don't, you don't really know what's got in store, but yeah, looking, looking forwards, I think it's, it's exciting because we know, like, we just know that the industry needs something different. Yeah. One of the things that has always come from you, come through your social, through your leadership is this desire to be authentic authenticity what does authenticity mean to you um authenticity means to me inner peace I think I'll probably start with that one Mm. because I've spent long enough I spent far too many years of my life in a place where there was not inner peace Mm. um tell us about that yeah like I I had very severe depression from 2012 to 2015 mm-hmm. relapsed again in 2017 and obviously then started working with you um and only when I really could step into my authentic self and being like actually do you know what this is who I am and not taking the crap from other people just because they thought I should live my life in a different way yeah that's that's when everything for me started to fall into place um everything flows better when you're being authentic you end up in the right situations with the right people um like authenticity is freedom Mm. so yeah like I feel very passionately about people not living authentically like and you see it all the time on social media like that's just a load of rubbish like what you just posted is not true it's not Mm. it's not actually who you are um now that's not to say that there isn't a belief or a or yeah. like a thought process that's in there, but there's still some work to do before that point. But to yeah, authentic. I just think if, if we can all be more authentic, yeah, we would all be in a much happier place. Yeah, my take on authenticity is like when inner world and outer world are, are aligned. It's like when what we say and what we do is an actual representation of what we what we think and what we believe it's subconscious you don't have to think about what you do you don't have to think about how you react you don't have to think about what you post like it just happens it just comes and yeah that that's authenticity 
talk about the word heart print and i know that a particular place in the world has left the heart print on you what is japan's heart print um <laughs> japan's heart print on me was um just ultimate inner peace mm. um so that there's a, a phrase or a word that they use in, in Japan, which is mushin, M-U-S-H-I-N, mm -hmm. I think it is. Um, and it's a state of no mind. Mm. And I found that so many times when I was in Japan, like I spent years traveling, trying to figure out what I was supposed to be looking for and finding, you know, people say, oh, you find yourself on your travels. And I was like, what am I looking for? Like, I, and actually before then, I felt as if I was always running away from things. Sure. um but yeah I, I could sit in japan and i was just so still there was no thought process there was just nothing it was just me with myself and mm. if you've never experienced that then you know I, I would definitely recommend trying to find that in something but hopefully you don't have to travel all the way to japan to find it but <laughs> it's um yeah well, it's an amazing place to be the irony is you can go to a place and you find something that's that's inside already isn't it and i think you know that's the three uh how long were you there three weeks mm. like you know everything about the culture is just about a slower way of life it's more sociable it's respectful it's i guess it's it's all about sort of self yeah worth self-love you know, they, they have things in their daily routines that they, you know, they, they do day in, day out, just out. It's, it's almost ritual. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it's, it's just an incredible, incredible culture. Which is just a complete juxtaposition from Beth and Lake of the Adrenaline Junkie. 100%. <laughs> I have a yin and I have a yang. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And you also have an alter ego, the, the blonde biker. Talk to us about this alter ego. Yeah, so I kind of went through, I, I guess, as this authentic Bethan started to emerge, I just mm. knew that I'd always had this dream of riding a motorbike. And I don't know, again, if it's just one of these social norms that was mm. something that I just had to squash. But there's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of women who ride motorbikes, but I just didn't know any. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to do my motorbike license. Didn't tell my parents, just went and did it. And yeah, the blonde biker of 27 was born. I, you know, I wanted to document, I guess, that journey, document what it meant to me and my own mental health as well. You know, motorbiking and mental health come hand in hand. So many bikers will talk about mental health and what biking does, does for that. Um, not to mention, obviously, the connections, the friendships and everything else that, that comes from it. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a part of my life that's been mm -hmm. there for what five years now and love it you talked about thousands and thousands of women bikers but there was one that really touched your heart can we talk about stuff yes <laughs> <laughs> i can try you can try <laughs> talk to us about that friendship uh the one and only steph.robo <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a bit of a strange one actually so steph um Steph and I hadn't met, but Steph followed me on Instagram in Bristol. Um, so not too far away. We would always pass each other when we were out riding. Mm -hmm. And one day I just, like, she was stopped at a petrol station on a roundabout. So I <laughs> rode past her and she was like jumping up and down. We both rode the same bike. Mine was red and hers was white. And 
um yeah jumping up and down and so I thought right I'm going to go round the roundabout and actually stop and I've got a perfect opportunity here normally it was like riding past each other mm-hmm. so um yeah stopped had a chat agreed to meet up and go for a ride and then like the rest is history we just became the bestest of friends um and just literally just clicked as if we'd known each other forever so yeah the most special special connection then what happened and then what happened uh oh god Steph was involved in a motorbike accident on the 15th of April Mm. this year and she lost her life yeah tragic right tragic yeah (laughs) I um I joined you at her her funeral and I've never seen anything like it I've never experienced I I get it like I think I get it from the outside seeing that community come together seeing um the way that you like pulled together those that video for her and to really kind of celebrate her life like honestly it was it was uh, an overwhelming experience and uh, you know I had such admiration for you on that day you know being there and I know that you you know you're you're a you're a strong leader anyway I know that about you but just seeing the way that you came together for that community and uh yeah it was really really tragic circumstances but a beautiful celebration of, of a beautiful human being yeah and it's one of those it's a really really weird thing to say but most bikers will say if there's one way that I'm going to go like yeah you know I, I want it to be that way because we just love it so much and I think unless unless you ride unless you've ever experienced what it's like like I think it's it's really hard to understand what that means yeah um and yeah Steph Steph would always say if there's always if there's one way I'm going to go I'm going to go on the bike and you know she was on a her favorite road the weather was shining like it, the sun was shining um but I guess it, it couldn't but like I said to you before it couldn't have been any more perfect really in terms of yeah. you know that I guess the day itself um but yeah you know from a from a community perspective it's it's one thing that I I really, really hope that those closest to me see and understand now because there's always this piece, I think, around biking. You know, bikers have a reputation of probably just being troublemakers, being noisy. Um, and actually, it's it's a bunch of people who will be the most welcoming people you've ever met. Mm. Um, they are the, the people in my life who I know, if anything ever happened... It, like I'd pick up the phone and they'd drop everything and they would come like they yeah. they are those sorts of people and regardless of where they live if they're eight hours away if they're yeah. half an hour away they would drop everything and come yeah. and it's it is very much a you know a really really special community and you know for me I just yeah I you know I, I hope that those closest to me understand why I would choose to go back to biking yeah. after it has taken my best best friend from me so Mm. yeah it's a bit of a strange one so powerful and you know just just the the rituals i guess maybe you know it was just the overriding sounds and the smell and 
and even just the the way with the synchronizing of the the revving which is almost like salute and honor and yeah like you know and, and i sat there with joni and you know we're not not feeling helpless in some way but we just we just want to be there for you and help you in some way and i think a great deal of comfort for us was to be able to see the hundreds of bikers that you, that had surrounded and wrapped around you and that community and and that video that you pulled together, man, I've never seen anything like it. What an expression of a, a wonderful human. Yeah, I keep having people say to me, and, and actually the guys, the guys from the funeral home, the celebrant, you know, they all said the same. They all said, you know, they do these day in, day out, and they've never experienced a video that really, like they felt Steph was in the room. They just felt her presence and they really understood her, her, like her as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all I wanted. Like, I just wanted to bring her back to life and for people to hear her, to hear a laugh, to mm. see her smile. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Words will never do it justice, but do you think you could describe Steph's heart print? Oh, God. Um, how would I describe Steph's heart print? Like... I won't describe her heart print. I'll probably describe her as a person, mm-hmm. which is ultimately her heart print. So she is a sort of person, or she was the sort of person that would put everybody before herself. Mm. She would carry the weight of the world. She would do everything for everybody before she even did anything for herself. Mm. She would be, well, she, yeah, she was the queen of connection. She was forever bringing people together. Um, she was always looking at for ways that she could support people. She was always looking at how she could just make somebody smile. Mm. Um, always checking in on people. I don't know how that girl had so much, so many hours in her day. Like <laughs> she had a very busy career, and yeah, and even you know, even that wasn't enough to to stop her. You know, she was she was always, always, always speaking to different people in different places, and yeah. You know, that that showed itself at the funeral. You know, people traveled for hours to come. They'd never met her in person, but they'd mm. spoken to her through social media. And I think that that is probably the truest reflection of of Steph and, and the impact that she had on people. Yeah. But yeah, she was just an all-round awesome person, like absolute numpty at times, but <laughs> yeah, just wanted to make people laugh all the time, smile. Yeah. 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 And coming back to you as a human being, like how do you continue to journey and overcome that sense of grief and loss? Um, I think, how do I continue to journey? <laughs> uh, I mean, grief's a funny thing, right? It's one of those, one of those things. And, you know, I've always heard people talk about the five stages of, of grief and, you know, I've lost family before and, but they've all been through old age and yeah I guess you do go through the five phases of grief but I haven't gone through that with Steph Mm um you know I know that a couple of people closest to me think that I I'm not processing that grief Mm -hmm. um but actually I think it's the complete opposite I, I think I found so much acceptance and peace in what happened how it happened the way that it happened kind of times leading up to it the things that I've experienced after it um so a grief is just this word I think that we put on it mm. and and 
I don't know, maybe if I hadn't journeyed in the last five years to understand myself and my own mm. thoughts and my own feelings, maybe I wouldn't have dealt with it in the way that I have, but it like it doesn't make it easier. No. It it doesn't like I have bad days, I have good days. Um, but I don't I don't know, I just have this it this peace yeah. with it, which I think just really, really helps that you move forward, um, yeah. whatever moving forward looks like. Yeah, and and I think you know Sadhguru will say that suffering is when we try and fight reality. You know, the so the antidote to that suffering is is acceptance, and so exactly what you've just said is is the byproduct of that is a is a peace and an acceptance, not not as if you know, not as if to say you wish it wasn't different, but accepting that it can't be. Yeah, and you know, before before Steph's accident, if you'd asked me if I was spiritual anyway, yeah. You know, I, I grew up going to church yeah. with my mom and my grand passed away and for me, it, 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 like it all changed and I couldn't really understand why. And then obviously Steph's accident happened and I, and I don't know, there's just this part of me that's just completely shifted. Mm. Um, and it's, I don't, you know, I, I would love to, I would love to say that Steph should still be here. Mm-hmm. But actually, there's that. There's just this huge part of me that knows that she was only here for that period of time for a reason. Mm. Um, and you know, I know that some people might find that quite strange to hear, and and almost that I'm kind of dismissing what's happened. But like that, that is my truth. Like I, I do genuinely believe that yeah. she was, she was here for a reason, and yeah. that's you know that's the way that it's it's played out. So. And, and that's it, you know, and, and and nobody can debate that because never in this lifetime will we know. No. Never in this lifetime. So it's about what brings us peace and acceptance and being able to to move forward. And, and you know, I'm really um, touched by, you know, what you're saying because I think it's very easy to embrace a more spiritual, trusting, surrendering nature to the world and the universe and the way that it works to then not completely shut down when something tragic happens as if to say, no, can't embrace that. Can't believe in any of that nonsense because why would this happen? You know, and, and, and yet you've leaned in and and I guess there've been so many kind of messages and blessings that you've had along the way that, that so many that we could do a whole episode on all of the, um, no coincidences. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about any of those? Um, I mean, there's loads, but I guess the very, very first one being the actual day that it it happened. So I was supposed to ride with Steph that day, uh, go everywhere together, and I'd had a busy week of work, and I just wasn't wasn't quite feeling it. And I I don't know, I just knew that it wasn't my day to ride. Mm. Messaged her, just said, "Look, Steph, like not." not coming today, not dragging my backside out of bed. Um, have a great day. And uh, later that day, we went down the road and went into an art gallery. And there was this picture in this art gallery, which was a picture that myself and Steph saw in a different art gallery. And she was like, oh my God, I love that picture. That would look amazing on my new my new kitchen wall. So she was just about to move house. And um, I was like, right, that's it. I'm having that picture. It's a moving in present. And that's going to go up on a kitchen wall. Mm-hmm. So I was stood in this art gallery with this picture in my hand, waiting to buy it. And my next door neighbor from my parents rang me. 
I declined because I was in this art gallery chatting. She rang me again. I declined. She rang me again. I thought, you know what? Something's wrong. I need to ring her back. So I put this picture down, went outside and, and spoke to her. And she's like, you're not out on the bike today, are you? And I said, no, why? And she's like, oh, there's been an accident just down the road. It's a girl on a red motorbike, um, late 20s. I mean, I'm not in my late 20s, but, you know. <laughs> um, and I was like, no, no, it's not me. It's not me. Like, and just left it at that. Anyway, I left the picture then. We went and got ice cream and carried on for the day. And later that evening, I obviously had the, the phone call about Steph. And I looked back and the time that I was stood in that art gallery with that picture in my hand with Rosie ringing me was all around the same sort of time as Steph's accident. Um, the Sunday, so Steph's accident was on a Friday. It was Good Friday. Um, sweet peas were Steph's favourite flowers. Sweet mm. peas are traditionally planted on Good Friday. Mm. Um, that's another little coincidence, yeah. <laughs> as you want to call it. Mm. And then on the Sunday, I got up, um, you know, and some people believe in this stuff and some people don't, but I've definitely learned over the last four months that I can't not believe in it because of this. Mm. Um, I got up Sunday morning, went to go to the bathroom, went to get back into bed and I just felt this thing in my chest and it was like something had physically left me and I, I can't even explain what the feeling was but something had come out of my chest and it had gone um well anyway we have a mutual friend who's a medium and I spoke to her and she'd actually done a reading for Steph in lockdown and had communicated with her big nana and this medium had said to me you know what time was that because you know I wanted to talk to someone who was in that world who maybe might be able to give me some clarification of what I'd felt um, and the fact that I wasn't losing my mind and, you know, I talked to her about what time it was. I talked to her about what I felt. And she said, Bethan, the same time there or thereabouts on that Sunday morning that you had that, I had communication from Big Nana to say that Steph had made it mm. to her. So, yeah, that that for me, I was like, oh, my God, like there's, mm. you know, this this has happened. And then I was feeling things in certain places. And, you know, we'd done a lot of kind of research I guess into chakras and we spent the weekend for Steph's birthday in Glastonbury which was a massive shift for her and it felt to me as if Steph was communicating to me through my chakras so I would feel things in my throat and I knew that something had to be said to somebody and I didn't necessarily know who it was but then at, at the right time with the right person in front of me the feeling would come back and then after I'd had a conversation, the feeling would then go. So it's, yeah, I experienced that on a number of different occasions. And I get it, you know, still get it in certain, more so in my stomach and my chest. Mm. Um, I've had music synchronicities. I've had number synchronicities. Like I have had yeah. every single form of dreams. That's another one. Like I had weeks and weeks and weeks of dreams with staff. Mm -hmm. um couldn't tell you what the conversation was it was really really conversational but um I could tell you where we were sat but I couldn't tell you what was said um so yeah I've had had all sorts of wonderful experiences yeah I did, you know that we were having conversations almost every week with a new one every week and yeah we could literally talk about all of them and um you know I think this is this is the thing it's it's such a such a topic that people will fail to get their head and the heart round unless it's experienced and mm. that's it so it's, it can't be debated it can't be challenged because it's 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 experiential 
Yeah, and you know, things have happened since, you know, both in terms of business, things have happened with Joni, things have happened with other people that we know of, like in terms of their own job roles and, you know, them moving forwards as, as themselves and, you know, maybe achieving something that they had had conversations with Steph about. And it's almost a bit like, come on, Steph, like, what, what are you doing here? Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's lovely to hear that it's not just me that's experiencing it. Like it is very much uh, like a, a wider spread piece. So she's mm. working at magic somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah love that. Should we do a, a quick fire question round with some of Go these questions then. that your good friends have added in? So um, your dear husband-to-be, he wants to know many things, but I will choose <laughs> this one, which is what gives you fulfillment? What gives me fulfillment? Hmm. It's a really good question, actually, because I couldn't actually tell you. I think, like, I know that I enjoy what makes me happy is when I'm making a difference. Um, Do I ever feel fulfilled? No. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, comes back to the conversations that we've had previously about expectation and actually enjoying the journey to that point. So, yeah, I I need to learn to enjoy the journey more so than the final destination. Like if I have a goal in mind when I get there, it's almost a bit like, oh well, how does that now feel? I'm just a bit yeah. a bit indifferent. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, that's a, a hard one for me to answer because I don't think I ever feel fully fulfilled. But then I think again, that's just my own. Like I'm always chasing something better. Mm. I'm always chasing the next thing. Cool. Real talk. Deb wants to know your three components when it comes to creating a safe space for those closest to you or in business relationship building. Zero judgment. Mm. That's a lesson that I learned a few years back. Like if you can just drop mm. any judgment that you have of others, it just creates a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. Um, tough love. hundred <laughs> percent. Like, I've seen some of the best things in people change off the back of tough love, you know, conversations. Yeah. What do you think it looks like? It sounds like. Uh, Questions and conversations that other people are afraid to ask. Mm. Like, you know, you taught me this, just asking the question of why, well, why do you feel that way? Or why is that important to you? Or why do you think that's going to make a difference? challenging the thought process of other people I think is really quite Mm. key same in business so you know I always ask why why do you do it that way Mm. why why is it that that's never changed why is it your workforce feel this way um the third uh, I think probably just just the ability to create space, whatever space looks like. Space doesn't have to be sitting down with someone and saying, let's chat. It could just be sitting in the car and having a conversation about life. It could just be walking along the beach and you never know what space somebody needs. Yeah. Um, I imagine there've been many circumstances where you just haven't wanted to talk in the last few months. Yeah. And not not just me, like, you know, a lot of people in our in our community, like there's mm. we've wanted to talk, we haven't wanted to talk. And mm. I think obviously Steve, my other half, I think he 
he kind of tiptoes around me at the minute because he doesn't know what mood I'm going to be in. He doesn't know if I want to talk. If he doesn't know if I don't want to talk. So yeah. that it, and it's that's a hard thing to judge as well, isn't it? Like you don't. But I think sometimes when you can just be with somebody, yeah. conversations can then flow and you're not being busy with life you're not being busy with things i had john gray on recently he wrote men are from mars women are from venus and he says that the primary motivation of a man is to fix something (laughs) and And when there's something that you can't fix what yeah exactly (laughs) how do i fix this and then you feel completely out of your depth in terms of i don't know you know and it's yeah it is tricky it is tricky steve also wants to know how you maintain such high levels of focus for such long periods of time that's because I'm a woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, better luck next time, Steve. No, it's to, like fifty percent of my audience. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm joking. I, I <laughs> how do I, I? I don't know. I think it's probably habit as well. Like I, I've taught myself, or I've allowed myself to sit for hours and hours and hours and do work. Like, and I don't, I don't think that's a healthy thing so I would much prefer not to be able to focus for such a long period of time um because it's it particular there. things is it certain things is it or is it like whatever you put um, your mind to if I like if I put my mind to something I'm I'm on it like my parents are still the same you know I, I'm very much I, I get fixated on things yep and I just need to do it or you know it just needs to get done or whatever but yeah, I'm like a dog with a bone. That's probably yeah. the best analogy for me. <laughs> um, Jonathan Darling says, how did you become so awesome? <laughs> um, <laughs> how did I become so awesome? Just being my authentic self. Just authentic being, self. Just being me. <laughs> Why do they call you Legend Laker? Well, I like to think it's just because it rhymes, but... yeah. You know, it's just who I am, right? (laughs) Well, you know, it's just like when we had Samantha Clinch come in. It's like you know, if you if you declare it to the universe and you say that you're a hand model, then you are. And I think you know, we we speak about it, Legend Laker, and just that's who you are. That's who you've become. Yeah, I'm happy with that. (laughs) Yeah. Abby says. Is there anything that you would have done differently? No. No. That was a quick response. Yeah, I do you know, I have this firm belief that I I I don't regret anything. Yeah. Um, I would never change any of my experiences. I, you know, the mistakes that I've made along the way, they've all been lessons. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know that sounds quite cliche. I know it's, you know, people are saying, you know, you learn from all the things that whatever, like. It is true, and I do yeah. believe that I would not be the person that I am today if I wasn't brought up in the same way that I was brought up, if I hadn't experienced um, life, depression, you know, all of those things. Yeah. And, you know, as as I move forward with my life, there'll be other things that, that mm. come and shape the person that I become. So, yeah. no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change a thing. You, you know my story you know my journey with it comes to absent father and struggles in the home over the last sort of five years and 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 if you get to a place where you truly love life and the things you get to do and I've, I've come to this realization that if you love your life you can't hate what got you here like I'm so grateful for 
knowing what it feels like to be in the darkest of places. Right. I am so grateful to have experienced absolute assholes. Because I think when you have the good days, when you have the best people around you, like that, it's even more special. Mm. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't change a thing. Mm. And I'm kind of a little bit like, come at me. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah, what's... What's next? What else can I learn? You know, Steph, prime example of that. That that is a lesson in itself. And yeah, work, business is a lesson in itself. Um, where I, I don't know. We always talk about getting to a, like a fork in the road, don't we? You can go left or right. And the longer you sit and decide which way you should go, probably the the chances of it being wrong are going to be higher. Mm. Actually, you get to the fork and you want to go left, we'll go left yeah and that's that's just the way that i live my life now you know it's it's impulsive it's and and i just trust that whatever comes at me is meant for me Mm. Mm. that's interesting because steve also says you know one of his five horrible questions how do you make make your business and life decisions and i think what you just touched on is a degree of intuition which a lot of this intellect driven world is a bit fearful of how do you tap into your intuition and trust it? Um, do you know what? I, I believe I've always had very good intuition. Yeah. I don't feel as if I've kind of learned to have intuition because I, I also don't think you can really learn it. I think you mm-hmm. can probably practice and develop it, but I think you kind of have an innate mm-hmm. intuition. Um, so, you know, growing up with people, I've always been able to read people mm. and obviously sometimes you get it wrong, but you know, again, I've learned along the way and I just, I don't know. I just trust, trust my gut, I guess yeah. is probably the, the, and, the piece. And then when you do that, when uh, I think so to try and rationalize what I think you're saying is that sometimes there's something just suggesting do something. So then you, the, the next thing is do the thing that you think is your instinct. And then you get a feedback mechanism, which says, yeah, that was yeah. the right thing to do. Or, oh, it wasn't. And, and then we learn how to hone our intuition, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm I'm not somebody who sits and thinks about every decision, whereas I know other people are, you know, that there's people who put themselves through this cycle of should I, shouldn't I? Maybe mm-hmm. what, you know, if I do this, what happens? And if I do that, you know, what's the outcome of that? And and I don't give myself the time or the space to sit and think about my actions. <laughs> um that's not to say that I don't regret some of my actions in, in terms of in that moment, because I think, well, maybe I should have just done the other thing. But, you know, again, I just kind of, I, I go with it. But yeah, I, I just yeah trust, well, know and go. From what I know about you and enough, particularly with the life languages stuff, is that you are very global perspective. You're a big picture. You work in long time frames, meaning that you get the freedom to take whichever path to that ultimate direction is going to take you. Yeah, don't ask me about the detail. Yeah, <laughs> Jody. <laughs> That's where Jody comes in. Yeah. Yes. If you've got a list of 100 things that maybe we should consider before we get there, Joni would have that. She probably wouldn't have the final destination. That's what I have. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Great teamwork. Look, I could talk to you all afternoon, all evening, but I um, want to be conscious and respectful of your time. Uh, where can people connect with your organisation and find out more about you and what you do in the world? 
Yeah, um, LinkedIn is probably the best place to get me and Joni. We're not particularly active at the minute, but that's for a number of different reasons. <laughs> um, so Beth and Laker or Joni Harding, I'm going to pitch her out there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Instagram, our business is the Leisure Experts on Instagram, also on Facebook. Um, and I guess my alter ego is the Blonde Biker 27 or Beth and Laker on Instagram. Beth and Laker, you know all about the phrase heart print. You know what it kind of means, what it embodies. What is your heart print? What is my heart print? Hmm. Do you know what? I don't think I've actually been able to put my heart print into words. Um, yet. Yet. But then putting words to a feeling, I wonder if that's actually the right way to go for me. But I, I guess for me, it's my, my heart print is probably all about following the breadcrumbs that come my way um and making the impact wherever that leads me Mm. um whether it's with a business whether it's with people whether it is with customers like whatever it might be um yeah making a difference but then the the ripple effect of that i think is you know what what's that going to lead to And, and for me the sustainability piece is huge um when it comes to people just in general like friends Tough love is probably my heart print. <laughs> Tough love and accountability. I love that. I've learned that from the best, Ryan. Well, this is it. You know, once you've experienced, once you've experienced that, you understand that it's love. <clears throat> love tough, tough love. I think once you understand that it's united by this sense of I care, and this is just the way I show it, <laughs> you know, just sometimes it looks and sounds very different person to person. I mean, but, I'm not as gentle uh, as you. I'm a bit more blunt, but... <laughs> well, you know, this this is it. But we can't all do it the same way I do. Each to our own, eh? Exactly. You know, and there's grace and tolerance for the way you do it. And there's grace and acceptance for the way I do it. Uh, because we know that in the middle of this conversation, we are talking about something which we care about and we know that can be better, left better. Yeah. Ethan Laker, thank you for your time. I'd be honoured if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Oh man. Final thought. Do you know what? You always ask this question. I should have known better. I should have come prepared. <laughs> um, final thought. Do you know what? I hate it when people can answer this question just like that. Yeah. I mean, oh man. I don't know. I think my, my final thought would probably be something along the lines of like, take take what comes your way um and i don't want to be that annoying person that says always find the positive piece in it but like always that there's always got to be something in it for you mm-hmm. um yeah I, I would definitely lean into lean into life like you know i think and especially the last four months has taught me one thing that you know tomorrow is never guaranteed mm. and there's so many things that I, I like, I wouldn't want people not to know. Like I, you know, if, if you lean into life, you're, you're going to get a lot of answers. You're, you're going to know what it feels like to do something that you're scared of. You're going to know how successful you can be. And yeah, I just think it's, we spend so much time worrying about stuff that actually we can't control and, and actually our life, we, 
Mm. There's only so much of it we we can control. And if if tomorrow's never guaranteed, then why are we sat waiting and, and wondering? Mm. Lean in, knee to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get the knee slider down. <laughs> Bethan, thank you so much for your heart and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.